Before we turn our attention to the reading of Scripture, let me make two brief but very important announcements. The first is regarding our Fifth Sunday Fellowship Meals. That happens four times a year. And just the way the calendar falls, there are often other events occurring that same weekend, and we don't want to overburden anyone. So we're going to call them, instead of Fifth Sunday, we're going to call them quarterly fellowship meals. And they may fall on the Fifth Sunday. Sometimes they will. Other times they may fall on another day closely connected to the Fifth Sunday. So we're, we're calling them quarterly fellowship meals. And, uh, and that's the case uh, this month, the Fifth Sunday of May, is Labor Day, uh, I'm sorry, Memorial Day weekend, and we have our big Memorial Day picnic coming, and that's a lot of work if we have a fellowship meal and a picnic all on the same weekend. So we're just changing the terminology a bit and trying to make it a little more uh, practical for everyone. So we'll call them quarterly fellowship meals, and since this next one will be in connection with the Memorial Day picnic, let me make this announcement regarding the picnic. There are flyers and routes available for small group leaders to pick up out in the lobby when you leave today. If small group leaders would be sure to take one of those packets with a a mapped route and flyers and encourage your small group to start distributing those as early as tomorrow. We'd like to get them out before uh, the 24th because people will will already have made plans and we're trying to make this a community-wide event. So... Small group leaders, please be sure you get a packet with a map and a route and flyers to distribute your small group and engage your small group in helping to pass those out for the Memorial Day picnic. Our scripture this morning comes from Paul's first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 3 to 16. You'll find that on page 992 if you own one of the black Bibles off the card in the back. 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning at verse 3, hear now the word of God. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God And continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. 
Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. Well, joyfully this morning, I want to obey the Bible and give honor to whom honor is due. We're called in Romans 12 to outdo one another in showing honor. And specifically in Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20, you'll remember in the Ten Commandments, we're commanded to honor our father and our mother. So I'm delighted to, on this Mother's Day, honor moms. Specifically... 1 Timothy 5 is not dealing with honoring moms as such, but it is dealing with the subject of honor, and it's dealing with the subject of widows who were mothers. And so while it's a strange text, I admit to choose maybe for a Mother's Day sermon, I hope by the end of the sermon you'll feel differently if you, if you think that. The whole context of 1 Timothy 5 is all about social relationships to various people in the church. And Paul is giving Timothy instruction for what he is, he is to instruct the church at Ephesus and assume other churches as well about how we are to honor different individuals. And so 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 speaks of honoring older men and older women and how to honor younger men and younger women in the church. The section that we're going to consider this morning Verses 3 to 16 is all about how to honor widows. Uh, Pastors are spoken of as deserving of honor in verses 17 through 25. And at the beginning of chapter 6, it speaks to um, slaves and how they're to honor their masters. So it's a a section that's shot through with this honor theme. And we're just going to focus in on verses 3 through 16 this morning. And just as you think about this. As you think about the need for the Apostle Paul to even write a section like this on widows, reminds us of the fact that we are in a world that is broken, right? It's fallen. It doesn't work how it should. Families in this context are not caring for widows the way widows should be cared for. And Paul is led to write to Timothy to address this situation, how the church as God's redemptive vehicle in the world meant to bring the presence of the kingdom and show what it's like to live under the power and presence of King Jesus is meant to step into that situation and redeem that situation. But the reality of this is that people die, families don't work the way they're supposed to. Sometimes the church will have to step into this role, but we must do all that we can to not allow families to continue in irresponsibility and selfishness. That's what Paul is discussing in this section. But because we live in a broken world, and the church is the means of bringing the kingdom to bear, we have to be ready to step into that role of care. Sometimes moms fail to be moms in practice. Moms in names don't function as moms the way they ought to. Sometimes women who desire and husbands who desire to have children, moms especially, don't bear children or not able to bear children for whatever reason. We see that all throughout Scripture as well. And where moms in name are not moms in practice, orphans are created. And the church must step in and care, often through adoption. But then there's also when children in name fail to be children in practice and don't honor their moms the way they need to, especially in, the older, in their older age, the church steps in and cares Registering widows and making sure they're cared for. So that's what Paul's dealing with. What happens when 
the fallen world, the world in which we live, which is full of sin and brokenness, doesn't, where God's plan is not reflected as it is. The family is broken apart. It's not functioning the way it needs to function. Just, you know, just as I was um, getting ready to come up for this sermon, our brother Ziambo reminded me that we have a presence of a, of a special lady this morning. Um, her name is Joan Margaret. And Joan, we just want to welcome you. She lost both of her parents um, to the Ebola crisis in Liberia. And so we grieve with you and we honor you in, in our presence and we're thankful that you're here and we hope that you'll feel God's comfort and nearness even through us as a church this morning. So there she is. Let's, let's give her applause. Thank you for being here. So the world's broken. Families are broken. And this text tells us about how we can be redemptive as a church um, in the face of such brokenness. So we do this. The reason why we do this as the church is because the church cares what God cares about. And God cares about widows and orphans and aliens. God cares about those without a husband, those without parents, those without a home. God cares. God describes himself as the father of the fatherless and the defender of widows in Psalm 68, 5. And because this is who our God is, we as his people are to be the same. Our Lord Jesus himself was consistently compassionate toward widows. Think about this. He restored life to the only son of the widow of Nain in Luke 7. He commended both the determination of the widow before the unjust judge in Luke 18 and the generosity of the widow who contributed her two small copper coins to the temple treasury in Mark 12. The early church followed his example. The practical differences between the diaconate and the eldership, the two offices of the church, were were manifested in Acts 6 over widowhood, the reality of widows and how to deal with them in the church and make sure they're cared for. And then James comes along in James 127 and reminds us that pure and undefiled religion is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So this whole heartbeat of God and Jesus and then the early church shows up right here in the way Paul writes to Timothy in describing how widows are to be cared for by the church. Now, what I'm going to do, though, is having given you the general intention of the passage, the intention of this passage of 1 Timothy 5, 3 to 16, is to teach the church how it is to care for widows who are truly widows. And Paul spends a large chunk of this section talking about what a true widow is. And his assumption is, is that if a widow has another form of care, namely her family, her family is to honor her first. And the church is not to take, because the church would be stepping in and actually undermining the responsibility of the family to care. And so Paul has a very, very high view of motherhood. He has a very, very high view of the family. And he has a very, very high view of the church and how all those things intersect together. And so what I want to do this morning is to provide encouragement for moms from this section of Scripture and then an exhortation to all of us who have moms. All right? So an encouragement to moms, what they're called to do and how they're called to do it, and then an exhortation to those who have moms, what you are called to do and why you are called to do it. So let's start with an encouragement to moms. This whole text assumes, and we'll get to it in a minute as we see it, this whole text assumes that motherhood is an all-consuming affair. Moms in this room, would you agree with that, that motherhood is an all-consuming affair? It takes tons of energy, 
tons of attention, tons of self-sacrifice. I'm getting the nodding of mothers across this room. And I think those of you who are not nodding would agree with that as well. So I think 100% of you would agree that motherhood is an all-consuming affair. So often, moms think that they are not doing enough, that they could be doing so much more, and that's a reflection of their self-sacrificial hearts and spirit. Moms, you think you need to do so much more than just be a mom. And this passage assumes that being a mom is quite enough. Now, Jesus saved us, if you remember, Jesus saved us for good works, right? He didn't save us because of good works. Jesus doesn't save us because we're good enough for him. But he does save us for good works. He saves us by grace, freely forgiving us of all of our sins as we turn from them and trust in him because he died to pay for their penalty, provide us a righteousness that we could never attain on our own. Jesus dies for us. He lives for us. He saves us by grace. But we're saved for good works. I mean, this is all over the New Testament, right? Titus 2.14, that Jesus died to purify for himself a people who are zealous for good deeds. So he died to make us zealous for good deeds. Ephesians 2.10, we've already considered this in our sermon series in Ephesians. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Or John chapter 15, verse 16, he has chosen us that we might go and bear fruit. He didn't choose us because we were bearing fruit. He chose us that we might bear fruit. That is, do good works. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I mean, this is why we're saved, to do good works. But what is a good work? 1 Timothy chapter 5 tells us. It's being a mom. It's being a mom. Look at that. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children. First thing out of her mouth, or out of Paul's mouth, about godly womanhood. If she has brought up children. Now that is not to undermine the vast value on which Paul places the role of single women, all right? So I know that there are single women out here in our church who are not a mom, who don't have motherhood on the rise, and they may desire it, but I just want, to, I, want you to say, I want you to see that Paul is not saying that that's the only good work that women can be devoted to. It's not true. He places a high value on singleness in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and actually seems to prefer it. Because of the level of devotion one can have exclusively to the mission and person of Jesus Christ. But here he's talking about the typical older woman, which marriage is the vast will of God for, for almost everybody. Not exclusively. But he says that they have brought up children. That's, a, that's part of their reputation for good works. Then at the end of verse 10, has devoted herself to every good work. So one of the good works for which Jesus saved us is motherhood. Being a mom. And moms, doesn't that help you, especially younger moms who are in the thick of it right now? Doesn't that help you when you feel like, good grief, all of my time is being devoted practically to my children And I want you to feel this morning that God is very pleased with you. That God is pleased with you. And that that's the expectation. (laughs) 
Here's what Matt Perman says. The activities of our everyday lives are not separate from the good works that God has called us to do. They are part of the good works that God created for us to do in Christ. See, the everyday activities that we're called into are part, they're not separate from the good works. Like all the things that I'm doing on a daily basis, those aren't really the good works that God has created me in Christ Jesus for. The real good works are the ones that I find time to do apart from the things I do every day. That's not what the Bible has in mind. Jesus Christ saved you so that 24-7 you would be devoting yourself to good works. And one of those is the all-consuming tasks of being a mom. Perman goes on to say, therefore, your works have great meaning. Don't just try to get things done. Seek to serve others to the glory of God in everything you do. More than that, be proactive and enthusiastic in doing good for others. Here's what Spurgeon says about the high calling and vast energy and focus required to be a mom. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, many would be very much out of place if he were to leave his ordinary calling and devote himself to what is so unscripturally called the ministry. The fact is, the truest religious life is that in which a man follows the ordinary calling of life in the spirit of a Christian. You are as much serving God in looking after your own children and training them up in God's fear and minding the house and making your household a church for God as you would be if you had been called to lead an army to battle for the Lord of hosts. It's hugely important what mothers do with their children day in and day out. It matters a lot to God. As much if you were called to to be a missionary in the Middle East. And I don't want to undermine what Eileen and Ethan are doing. Their calling is great and we're thrilled about it. But I'm equally as thrilled about what moms in this church are doing every day to try to pour into the lives of their children and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I mean, notice Paul's summary statement of what the life of an older widow consisted of in verses 9 and 10. He says, this reputation of good works that this older widow over 60 who would be eligible to be enrolled that is supported by the church... It says, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. I mean, the summary is, she's loved her family. She's loved her husband and children. She's been hospitable. She's cared for the church and the needy. I mean, this is just a woman who is devoted to God, devoted to her family, devoted to her church, devoted to her neighbors. But notice Paul's summary statement of what the life of a younger woman should consist of. Verses 14 and 15. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Notice what he doesn't include. He just says for younger younger women that he assumes just by giving them, okay, marry, bear children, manage your home. That's enough (laughs) for a younger mom. That's enough. Now, he includes all those other things about older widows, caring for the needy, devoting your, being hospitable, because that's stepping back and looking at the whole life, right? See, so often, young moms think that they got to be able to do everything that older moms can do. But they forget that the season of life is totally different. And therefore, they beat themselves up and 
struggle day in and day out because, well, I should be doing this, I should be doing that, I should be doing that. When what the Bible assumes that a younger mom will be primarily preoccupied with, almost exclusively, is marrying, bearing children, and managing their home. And then as you step back and as children grow up and they leave, and in the process, as, 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 as children can grow up, even, even younger kids, while they're still in the home, you know, having, being hospitable and caring for the church and loving your neighbors. It's not this exclusive idea like, oh, I can't love the church now because I'm a young mom. No, that's not the idea. But the idea is the frame of reference. The, the, what's the focus here? What's going to be the main usage of time? And so young moms, don't feel guilty that you can't give more time right now. You will have time. You will have time. I mean, I know of no passage of scripture that's greater to send a woman, a young mom especially, into the verge of condemnation as Proverbs 31, right? Don't you like want to skip that when you're reading through the scriptures? I mean, it's like the holy grail of biblical femininity. She's the wonder woman of scripture, isn't she? The unstoppable female juggernaut who conquers life with little or no difficulty. I mean, no woman has inspired more books, more ministries, more blogs, more conferences, more devotionals, more mugs, and more feelings of guilt and self-loathing than her. Many women, especially younger women, but older women as well, feel crippled and unable to live up to this pristine example of womanhood that's displayed in Proverbs 31. But let's just think about why Proverbs 31 was written after all. Was it written as a moral checklist that you would use to beat yourself up? No. Proverbs 31 is a love song from a husband to his wife. We'll get to that in a second, husbands. We've got a word for you about that. Proverbs 31 are principles to be pursued, not practices to be prescribed. Got that? Proverbs 31 contains principles to be pursued, not practices to be prescribed. Let me give you some examples. Let's take a closer look at this juggernaut. Verse 15. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. I mean, this woman never sleeps. She never sleeps. She, she rises before it's dark, but yet the chapter also says she's staying up late into the night. So she gets maybe 45 minutes of sleep a night. Probably. Maybe 30 if she's really godly that day. No, what's being, what's being described here? A woman who is diligent and caring for her family. That's the principle. It's not prescribing a time to wake up, a system of recipe planning, a particular diet, or anything else. The takeaway A godly woman seeks to be diligent and caring for her family. How that plays out will look a thousand different ways in a thousand different families. But the principle applies. Or verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Any young women found time to be a real estate appraiser on the side? Like flipping homes? Is that what's... No, the principle at work here is prudence. A godly woman uses prudence as she works within the confines of her family income. This verse has nothing to say about who does the budget, who sets spending limits, or anything like that. Those are going to look different for every family, but the practice of the principle of prudence applies. One more. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. A godly woman is generous with those in need. That's the principle. 
The verse doesn't mean that a woman needs to knit sweaters for the homeless, serve in soup kitchens, good as those things may be. It just means that a godly woman looks for ways to bless the needy. That's it. All right, so moms, aspire to be the Proverbs 31 woman in the sense that you're seeking to obey the principles that are laid out in those verses. But what if you find yourself, you say, well, that doesn't encourage me, Pastor Mark. I don't even measure up to the principles. Well, the book of Proverbs isn't really first and foremost about you anyway. It's about the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ, your Savior. So when you say, I'm not living up to those principles, I desire to, but I'm falling short. Hey, you're a great sinner who has a great Savior. God doesn't love you because you're superwoman. He loves you because Jesus obeyed every principle and practice in the book of Proverbs for you. You can rest in that. And husbands, if you are using the book of Proverbs, especially chapter 31, to condemn your wife, and she's feeling condemned, not even if you're not saying it, just your example, you're doing it wrong. What's verse 29 and 31 say is the intent of this chapter, anyone? Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is a husband standing up and saying, this is an amazing woman and I love her. I love her. Compared to other women, I would choose her every day of the week. It's a love song. It's a poem of praise. Here's what Stephen Altrogi writes about that. Proverbs 31 is not a moral checklist for us husbands to use as a grading sheet for our wives. Rather, it's a checklist of ways we can encourage and praise our wives. Husbands, listen up. If you're using Proverbs 31 as a diagnostic godliness checklist for your wife, you're misusing the passage and you're hurting your wife. These verses are not a cattle prod for a husband to use to goad his wife toward godliness. These verses are a springboard for a husband to shower encouragement on his wife. Husbands, especially of younger moms, and I've learned this the hard way, the greatest way you can serve your wife now as a young mom is to lavish her with encouragement and praise. Do that, especially in this season, when she is so worn out, when she is so tired, when she is so defeated, when everything about her heart, her mind, her conscience is condemning her, that she's not living up to the standard of God for her. Back to 1 Timothy 5. These are summary statements of a godly woman, and there's no practices mentioned. It's just principles. And the whole principle is she has been a self-sacrificial person. She has sacrificed herself for the sake of her family and her husband. If you have a godly wife, husband, she's doing that every single day. She might not do it the way you like it, and she might not do it the way you would do it, but she is laying her life down day by day, moment by moment, for the benefit of her family. And she needs your encouragement. And she needs your praise. And you should give it to her freely, liberally. And that doesn't just say, I'm not a young, I'm not a young husband in here. I'm an older man. Well, your wife still needs it. We need to, it's not just, I mean, Mother's Day should not be the only day we give encouragement to our wives and speak of how valuable they are. It isn't. If we do that, we fail. We need, to, we need to, in an ongoing way, seek to show our wives in ways that are unique to them, ways that bless them, ways that help them, how valuable they are to us. And we need to honor them in that way, in an ongoing, 
biblical way. So moms, what is the spirit in which you're to pursue this? Laying your life down, loving your family, blessing your household. Well, it it tells us in verses 5 and 6 as it describes, describes the godly character of this widow. Notice it says, She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So it contrasts, it contrasts this woman, right? It contrasts this older woman who is truly a widow, who, who is, is, is worthy of enrollment, but with the church, says she is le- she's left all alone, which means she doesn't have any family to support her. She has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. That is, she's just a God-dependent person, right? She's just God-dependent. It's, she's prayerful. She's the object of her faith and hope is God. And that's the spirit in which she goes about doing her mothering, bearing children, raising them up. So ladies, if you're a young mom, if you're an older mom in here, this is, this is God's word to you. There's older moms in here who haven't seen all their dreams fulfilled for their kids. There's, they still have longings for their kids. You never stop being a mom, as my mom repeatedly reminds me. <laughs> Mark, you never, you never stop needing a mom. You never stop being a mom. I'm like, I'm thankful for that. But here's the deal. Be prayerful and hope in God. There's your application. Be prayerful and hope in God. Don't hope in yourself and what you're doing. Place your hope squarely on God and what he is able to do and continue in prayer until he does it or does something even better than you could have even prayed, which he always does if what we are praying is not what is best. So give yourself to God, be prayerful, and then give yourself sacrificially out of that strength that God supplies you through prayer, through hope. Give yourself sacrificially to your home. Notice what Paul says here in verse 13 as he's contrasting the true widow with a younger widow who would not be worthy of the church's support. Notice what he describes of this woman, verse 13 or verse 11, but refuse to enroll younger widows for when they, their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. So the idea here is be careful about a widow who comes or is in the church who is younger, who has family, and who desires to marry still. Don't enroll them too soon. Don't get them supported by the church because he, he, he envisions bad things happening if that, if that happens. What are some of those bad things that will happen? Verse 13 Besides that, besides abandoning their faith, which may be a reference to marrying unbelievers or something along those lines. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So he says, what's going to happen is if the younger widow gets a check from the church, she's going to be idle because she doesn't have to to be self-sacrificial. She's getting her money. She's going to be idle. She's going to go from house to house. She's going to gossip and be a busybody and da 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 We know where that goes. And Paul says it's going nowhere good. Then he says, verse 14, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander 
For some have, have already strayed after Satan. So it's, it's satanic to do something like that. Why? Because what's the idea of what this younger widow who's lost her husband should do? She should occupy herself with something that's going to help her be self-sacrificial. Help her to give her life away, which is marrying and bearing children. Not being idle and wandering from house to house and discussing things she shouldn't be discussing about people she shouldn't be talking about. Because she's got so much time on her hands. Listen, this is generally true of men and women. Younger men and women especially. All right? Men and women are like trucks. And and there's truckers in here who could verify this. Trucks drive straighter with weighted loads. Do you get that metaphor? People drive straighter. They live more upright, godly lives. I would say even more upright lives, even if they're not Christians, when they have responsibility on their shoulders. Especially responsibility for little people and a spouse. All right? So what Paul is saying here is, listen, you need to help these younger widows drive straighter. Okay? Give them some weight. They need some responsibility. They need... He, now, keep in mind, Paul is pro-single. He is. As long as that singleness is not leading to self-indulgence and sin. Okay? There's godly singles, even in our own church, whose lives are not characterized by being a busybody and an idler and looking for support from the church. But what Paul says is that in this, to a woman that's already been married, let, we need to step in and exhort that woman to be devoted to her family, devoted to Christ, devoted to her church. And so that, that's the call. So just to summarize encouragement to moms, what does God call you to do? He calls you in prayerful hope to devote yourself to your husband, to your children, to your family. It's about young moms. Older moms... Prayerful hope in God that manifests itself by devotion to your family, to your church, to the needy, to your neighbors. And so that's our, that's our calling. That's what God's called us to do. And he's given you encouragement that all along the way, you don't need to beat yourself up and flog yourself over and over again that you're not able to do more. As God provides opportunity, as your children grow up, And as you have more margin in your life without little people tugging at you at six o'clock in the morning or earlier for some of us, that that you will have those opportunities and that and that God will give you more good works that he has called you into to do. But the good works that he's put in front of you right now do in prayerful hope in God. Don't do in your own strength. That's where we get ourselves in trouble, isn't it? All of us do trying to do the good works in our own strength. Listen, the way you do the good works that God has called us to do, not in your own strength, is doing two things. You remember the gospel first, that your good works aren't earning you favor with God, right? The good works flow from the fact that you have been purified, that you've been cleansed, that you've been saved, that you've been adopted, that you've been redeemed, that you're part of the family. Those good works flow out of that. And then as a result of that, you give yourself to your family. You know what will help you do that? Is believing promises from God's word. 
believing promises. I'm just going to give you a few of them. James 1, 2, and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Since that verse refers to trials of various kinds, I assume that James talking about more than just martyrdom and death. He's talking about sleepless infants, torturous bedtimes, muddy feet, spilled orange juice, moody teens. They all count too. All right? And we should count them all joy, even when they feel like the biggest pain in the world. All right? James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You're tired, you're scared, you're defeated, you're weary. Good. Good. Get low. God promises to lift you up. Psalm 127 verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. It doesn't depend on me. It's not about me. My kids are not for me. I can stop freaking out. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. They are. They really, really, really are. They're a fruit of the womb. They're a reward to you. Whether you have one child or two children or 10 children or 20 children, God has given you those children because he loves you. The world says they're burdens. God says they're blessings. And they are. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.1. Yep, that verse is for us parents too. I need to remember that. The anger in our kids is often from their hearts, but the mouthy way that we learn to express that anger may be from our example. And why do I think that pouring gasoline on the fire is going to fix it? Remember this one, parents, two more. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven thirty. Parenting is hard work, period. But parenting up to the expectations of your fill in the blank. Mother, mother in law, girlfriends, next door neighbor, sister in Christ is impossible. Parent for Christ's sake. He promises not to weigh you down with impossible burdens. And then one, maybe two more. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Hebrews thirteen six. God knows. God knows, ladies, your sacrifice of time, your desires, your sleep, your money, and often your own dreams for your children. He sees and he is pleased. One more, Proverbs fourteen four. where there are no oxen. This is one of my favorite, favorite passages. As a young dad with young kids who likes to not step on Legos in the middle of the night. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Proverbs 14, 4. Everything is a mess all the time. Can we just as a church get over our need to have a perfect house to show hospitality, please? It's a mess, okay? I'm going to push the Legos under the couch. But please don't move the couch and see the Legos there. All right? We all know it's a mess, all right? The gospel frees us. All right, so you don't have to pretend that your life is all together. The Bible says and Jesus says it isn't. So you don't have to put on a mask and pretend for all of us. All right? If you got time to vacuum, that's nice. Paper plates will work. All right? Hot dogs in the microwave. Pushing it there, aren't I? <laughs> Better get a little bit better than that, man. So what else do we expect if you're coming to the parent, coming to the home of a family with young children? 
There, there are oxen living there. It's dirty. But remember that abundant crops come by the strength of an ox. Abundant joy and memories and laughter and sanctification and gospel growth comes with all those wild animals too. And we need to remember that. Now let me close very quickly just with a brief exhortation to those of us who have moms. And I'm just going to read the text. It says in verse 4 that a family is to show godliness. See that? But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let him them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. You know what God wants for us who have moms? To pay them back a little bit. To show some return to them. To honor them for their sacrifice day in, day out for our good. That we have grown and developed and been blessed as a result of that. And the way that we honor them, show godliness to them, is repay them. We return to their, we make some return. It doesn't say make every, do everything. It just make some return. Help your moms feel like you appreciate them. And there's something that you have given it's in a sacrificial way for them out of all the ways that they have sacrificed for you over the years. That's what the household is called to do for the godly mom. Then verse 8 says, very strong warning. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It says, you don't treat your godly mom with honor. You don't treat your mother with honor and provide for her when she's older and make sure she's cared for. He says, unbelievers don't even do that. Unbelievers, most of the time, have enough sense to care. And you don't. You're worse than an unbeliever. You've denied the faith. You should call into question your salvation. That's what Paul says. Call into question if you really belong to Christ. And then verse 16, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. It implies that faith in a household, in a home, if a believing woman has relatives who are widows, they should care. They should show concern. So it's showing godliness. It's caring. For younger children, it's obedience, right? If you're still in the home, if you're a younger kid, You honor your mom by obeying your mom. That's what Ephesians 6 says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. We honor by obeying. Honor is obedience. You you don't honor your mom if you don't obey your mom. So kids, little kids, honor your mom by obeying your mom. Listen to what she says the first time. And do what she says the first time without grumbling. And why do we honor our moms anyway? Ultimately, yes, scripture teaches us it, it shows us it, you know, God models it. But the ultimate reason I think we honor our moms is because Jesus honored his mom. When he was dying for our sins on the tree, he was honoring his mom. Because one of the seven words he said from the cross, besides at the end, it is finished, is to John, 
behold your son. Or behold your mom. And then to Mary, behold your son. He made sure that his mom was honored. And that should grip us as God's people, especially as those of us who have moms. We should be gripped by the reality that our Savior, when he's bleeding and dying for our sin, did not forget to honor his mom. And so we should as well. And we do it because he died for us. He set the example for us. And as his people, we are glad to obey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our mothers. We thank you for them, that they gave us life, that you have ordained that we come into the world through them and that you gave us the parents you gave us. We pray that we would honor them, that we would give return to them, that we would not deny the faith, but actually uphold the faith and display the faith in the way that we care and show compassion for them, especially as they get older. And may where there's brokenness, may we as the church step in, seek to heal marriages, heal families, and where that's not possible, care for widows and orphans in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.